Well, hi again. Just met you guys. So um, glad that you guys are here with us. Um, I just kind of wanted to uh, share with you a couple things that I was just thinking about on my way in. Um, many of you guys may have been here last week and heard that uh, our lead pastor, Bill Stewart, is taking a sabbatical this summer. And um, I had someone come up and be like, is Bill okay? Yeah, Bill's great. Um, so I want to just, I just wanted to thank our elders um, and our leadership um, for the support and care of our pastoral team. They didn't ask me to say this, but I think it's really important. Um, pastoring a church is a 24-7 job. Um, and Bill has been, for the entire family, and Bill has been leading a church for over 20 years without a sabbatical, without extended time off with his family. And, and you might kind of go, what does that mean? Um, but, you know, every Sunday he gets up and he comes to church and his family's at home. On Easter Sundays, you know, it's dad's at church and the family's at home. Christmas Eve, all these things. So there's a sacrifice that the families make as well. And so I just, I'm just so thankful for our elders that recognize that and give the time to rest and recharge um, to our pastoral team and to Bill. And, um, and it's hard for him to take a break. So they have to tell him you're taking a break, right? Rick, can I get an amen? So, um, so I'm, just, I'm just thankful for that. I just, I just ask you guys to just pray for Bill and Mandy and the kids. They have a lot of extended time. I know they're going to go to Costa Rica where Bill is an aspiring surfer, which might be surprising to you. But um, that's one of the things that they're going to be doing. So just be praying for them, um, you know, just over this time. And just, I know we had graduations. We had seniors graduate this week. Um, just have a lot of exciting stuff. Our kids are going to camp. Are you guys ready? Who's going to camp? You guys going to camp? Okay. Our kids are going to, <laughs> Mr. Robert's going to camp. First, Mr. Robert's going to go to the camp, all our leaders that are going to camp. So they leave on Thursday and they come back on Sunday. So we're not going to have our normal table kid service um, for our bigger kids. We'll have them for the little biddies, but because um, our people are going to be at camp, which is crazy. So Robert, we are going to be praying specifically for you. Um, and all of our leaders that are going. So uh, today we're going to be diving into a new series called Unimaginable. Um, it's, it's coming out of the verses in uh, Ephesians 3.20 where it says, Now to him who can do more immeasurably who can do more immeasurably than we could ever imagine or ask for. It's hard to wrap our minds around all that God has done for us and um, that he has done for us and will do for us and what he desires and for us the, the power and the enormity of God sometimes is so big and overwhelming that we kind of just put it off to the side and so we're going to be kind of di diving into that as well and, and just the, the death to life the unity that we have with people um, the relationship we have with with the Lord the holy and divine purpose that he gives us um, are all topics that we're going to be diving into this series so I'm really excited and so before we start, I'm just going to ask you guys to pray with me. I want, I want us to pray for Bill and Mandy and Nathan and Caroline that they just got just uninterrupted time together. Um, I don't, Mandy and Bill are celebrating their 20th wedding anniversary tomorrow, so that's awesome, yeah. Man, I just realized we're right on the heels of that, so it's like, oh my gosh, we've been married a long time, um, yet haven't aged a day, which is a miracle. So, um, but they, you know, 20... 20 years of marriage, in ministry, um, just pray for our kids and our leaders, and then, you know, of course, our seniors that just graduated. So will you guys pray with me? Um, Father, I just, there's so much to be thankful for. I am so thankful for um, the heart of our leadership, 
um, thank you that they are um, men that follow hard after you, that look to honor you um, in all that they do. Thank you for their care for Bill and Mandy and the kids. Um, I just ask that you help Bill rest and rejuvenate, um, Lord, and also just give him a clear vision for the way forward as a church. Um, thank you, Lord, for um, the, the kids that are going to camp, the leaders that are going. Give them supernatural energy um, and patience, Lord, and just may lives be changed um, over the next few days. Father, and we just celebrate all of the new beginnings, all of the transitions that, transitions that are happening in the lives of the people in our church, the people we love so much, Lord. We just, we know that you are just doing such amazing things through the lives of the people at the table. Thank you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so how many of you guys have a young driver in your home? Anybody? Okay, I know a couple of you guys do have young drivers or have had a young driver, okay? So if you've had a young driver, you can... Um, you can sympathize. Um, so I have one. She's 16, and then I have one right on her heels, and he's about to be 14. And I will tell you, nothing will age you faster <laughs> than teaching a kid how to drive. Okay? It, I look at myself when she was 14, and then now, and I'm like, I, it's like dog years. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, this has been, oh, it's been a lot. So, you know, like, when you first... You know, start driving, there's a lot of slamming on the brakes, and there's a lot of, like, you know, holding your breath and, like, taking turns, like, the fourth turn of the Daytona, you know, and, like, like you're slamming on that, like, imaginary, like, chicken brake. You're just, like, holding on and holding your breath and praying and fasting and anointing the car with oil and all the things that, you know, you need. So it's rough. And I'm sorry if you're a parent with little bitties and you're like, this is the hardest stage. It gets worse. I'm sorry. So um, enjoy it now. But, uh, but. You know, it, uh, over time, they start to get the hang of it, right? Over time, they get, they get a little better. Over time, they get a little more aware, um, familiar with things. Um, you know, they get more confidence, too, which is a little scary, but that's good. They get a little more confidence. Um, and you can, like, get in the car and let them chauffeur you around without having, like, a stroke, you know? So you get, you get to that point, and it takes awareness, it takes practice, it takes evaluation, it takes a little humility on everybody's part, um, you know, to, to get to a place where they're growing and they're progressing and, and, and stuff. And, um, and this is not unlike what it looks like to walk with Jesus, which is like, oh, that's not very comforting, okay. Um, but it hopefully doesn't age us as rapidly, but, like, it, there, there's this, like, progression that we that we go through as believers, you know, and, and for a while, you know, we're, you know, making really hard turns or, you know, swerving into lanes that we're not supposed to be. But over time, okay, we can progress. But a lot of us stay stuck in that student driver place, okay? A lot of us do. And, and, and so we're trying to figure out still what we don't know. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Have you guys heard that? And that's kind of where we are and, and faith at times. And, and we're going to be um, diving into Ephesians 2 today, uh, 2, 1 uh, through 10. And, and we're going to break up this series of verses with um, a question, a transition, and then a question. Okay, so that's how we're going to kind of look at it today. So it's, we're looking at it as a little bit of 
progression. So if you have a Bible, um, go ahead and flip to Ephesians. I always tell our students at youth, if you don't know where the book of Ephesians is, that's okay. Every Bible has a table of contents. Um, you can also go to the Bible app on your phone. Scroll there. The verses will be on the screen. But we would love for you guys all to have a physical Bible. There's Bibles at the info table as you leave. Grab one, take one home. There's something really special about having a Bible in your hand. So we want you guys to know that those are available for you. So we're going to be in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. So join me there um, as we read. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavens in, Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he may display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so these verses are a little bit of a panorama of salvation. They show us our past, present, and future. Um, here, here's the thing. The, ten verses is a lot to cover, and Bill could probably do a really great job of covering every single detail in about eight weeks. So there's a lot here to unpack. So we're going to kind of skip around a little bit to hit some of the highlights. But there's a, there's a lot here um, to look at. So we're going to kind of try to walk through this progression together. Okay. So again, it's a question, a transition, and then a question. So the first question is, is, is to understand what we're reading here. We have to know what we're saved from. Okay, what we're saved from. So verses, verses 1 through 3. Let's just reread those really quickly. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the, of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. And so that sounds fun, right? <laughs> um, so uh, what we are saved from, we are saved from death. We are saved from the consequence of sin, okay? And I'm going to use the word habitual sin, and I'll tell you why here in just a second. Okay, so there, there's a couple things that we see here. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and I think it's important that we look at the sin. Actually, in the Hebrew, means to miss the mark. So we're thinking of like an archery term. Okay, so we miss the bullseye, all right, which is a really uh, easy way to digest the word sin, okay? Um, but this is where we have to lean in a bit because we sin, oh, I missed the mark. Doesn't sound so bad. Um, sin is nuanced and, again, needs multiple weeks to break down all of it. But the verb of sin is the intentional or unintentional offensive behavior towards God. And the intent of sin, the intent of sin reflects 
one's attitude toward God. And our human behavior is measured against God's word to determine whether it is holy or not, or if something is sin or not. And so sin entered this world through Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, don't eat from that tree. And with one bite, sin entered, shut off humanity from God forever. The the fellowship that they had with God um, was broken. And mankind becomes sinful. And our natural state is sin. Our natural state is being sinful. And you guys are like, this is a great message. Okay, it's going to get good. Just hang in, okay? Hang in, okay? So our natural state is sinful. The act of resisting sin is very unnatural. Okay, and we don't like to think of ourselves that way. But, like, have you ever put two toddlers and one toy in a space? Sinful, okay? We're just born that way, all right? Or take a three-year-old to a restaurant, our natural state, can I get an amen from all the three-year-old parents? Like, our natural state is sinful, okay? And it doesn't feel good. It's hard to wrap our, our minds around it because, you know, I mean, what we hear in culture and stuff is like, you're enough, you're good enough, and all these things. And, and we want people to feel like that, but we want them to understand where that actually comes from and who's responsible for that because it ain't us, Okay? Romans 3.23 tells us all have fallen, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, okay? So we see sin missing the mark, something that disconnects us from God. Okay, there's another word in here that's trespasses. This one got my business a little bit, okay? Trespass is an intentional breaking of a boundary. Sin is what you don't do. You fall short. We don't reach God's mark. But trespass is a deliberate, willful act of disobedience. And when we tend to think of this sin or trespass, we think of like the big things, okay? We think of big sins. We'll talk about that. That's how I did. It's like, oh, there's big sins, okay? Now, I want you to think about it this way. I am the oldest of three girls. We all shared a big room in our house when we were growing up. Okay, and so at one point, I was tired of them, and so I took the tape, you know, and I like taped off like my spot in the room. All right, now it doesn't matter if my sister is laying in my bed eating crackers or has like one tiny toe across the tape; she's trespassing, right? So it could be all the way or a little bit of the way, still trespassing. Okay, so we like to kind of like gauge sin in that way. Well, it's like you know, I'm not like eating in her bed you know, laying in our bed eating crackers. I'm just like toe over, all right? So we have to kind of think of that. That's not how we see, that's not how God sees sin. Sin separates us, trespasses separate us from God. It requires atonement, payment, to be back in right standing with God. So we cannot do that on our own. And what is the penalty or the wage of sin? And that is death, okay? That is an eternity separated from God, okay? Verse two says, We are walking dead in our sin. The word here, walk, means to meander, to wander a bit, just without a goal or a purpose. Y'all meander? You guys meander? You know where I love to meander? It's like Home Goods and TJ Maxx. Love to meander, okay? And if I'm telling you the truth, it's not a good idea for me to meander there, 
I just go in and let the store tell me what I need. You know, like, why do I need Himalayan salt? I don't know. Lentil chips? I don't know. Ralph Lauren towels? I don't know. The store is telling me as I meander. Okay, so nothing good happens when we meander without a purpose. Okay? Every wife is like, stop talking, stop talking. Okay, so, so okay. So, um, you know, we, we meander. And Paul's saying here, look, listen, you're, you're browsing at the world. You're looking at the world and looking for what's the next best thing, the next attractive thing, what's going to pull me to it. And it's so tempting to meander through the world and say, mm, that looks attractive. I might try that. There's a hymn that we sing here, and I love it. It's Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there's a line in it that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. It is human nature. We have this pull, this pull to wander far from God. And, and when I read the word trespass, I see habitual sin. Habitual sin. This is hard because it's a conscious, conscious choice to make these sinful choices. Okay, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's lusting, if it's envy, if it's gossip, if it's cheating, if it's um, you know, overindulging in substances, if it, whatever it is. And so many of us, for it's secret too, okay? But we have these habitual choices that we make that continue to separate us from God. And we have the secret sin and we think we're keeping it all together and everything on the outside looks okay and it's rotting us from the inside out. So what are we saved from? Death. And eternity separated from God and paying for that for all of eternity. That's what we're being saved from. Our worst. Our most wicked, our most dangerous, our darkest things that we have. And Jesus is saying, no, I got you. That's not on you anymore. And so... We have to recognize our desperation, y'all. We have to recognize the need that we have for a Savior to save us. And that, to me, is the first hard thing that we will do. Is to recognize, you know what, I'm, no, I'm really not that good. I'm really not that okay. I'm meandering a lot. But then it gets really good. This is where it gets good. Verse 4. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has had for us, made us a life alive with Christ. Even though we were dead and trespasses, we were saved by grace. That phrase, but God, is one of the most significant, heart-stopping transitions in all of Scripture. I encourage you to find but God moments in scriptures, about 45 of them. I found this quote um, by James Montgomery Boyce. It says, may I put it quite simply, if you understand those two words, but God, they will save your soul. If you recall them daily and live by them, they will completely transform your life. Every single believer Every single person who's professed to follow Christ has had a but God moment in their walk. That's one of the most beautiful things about church 
is that we all come from different places, different backgrounds, different experiences, but we all come to the same exact place. The recognition, can't do this anymore. Not enough. I need a savior. And see, I don't get people who say, well, I don't have a testimony. I've been a Christian my whole life. I contend that's not possible. We have all had a moment where we realized we need him. We all have had that moment where God has awoken me from my death, awoken me to my desperate need of him. And for me, it was sitting in a broken marriage, so broken in myself that I couldn't even figure out how to be married. And we were on the verge of divorce. And that's exactly where God woke me up. And I had my but God moment. So why does God do this? Why does he save us? And I, I, it's, it's right here. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us. He is rich in mercy. The word mercy, to withhold a punishment of sin that is justly deserved. It's that whole statement. He is rich in mercy because of the great love he had for us. God loves us. God loves you. He loves me. And I remember people saying this to me and feeling like really cynical. Like, God loves you. Does he? You sure? Because I knew all my stuff. Okay? When I came to discover and accept God's love, it was life-changing because it's so unique. It's so different, unlike anything I ever experienced, because it wasn't like there was nothing I could do to be good enough to stand in front of the creator of the universe and say, okay, pick me. I was way not good enough. But that's not how I realized he saw me. He saw me through the work of Jesus, and he gave me his love so freely with no strings attached. And I, I finally accepted that God isn't out to get me. He wasn't out to hurt me or, like, zap me from heaven for every bad thing I did wrong, okay? He wanted to intercept my life, the path I was going, intercept my life, and change everything about it, starting with my heart. What does his love do? It makes us alive, but alive in Christ, even though we were spiritually dead. And now it doesn't just happen because we just got ourselves together enough, or we had this epiphany, or we pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps and got ourselves cleaned up enough to stand in front of the Lord. That's not what happens. See, we can't do that, because once you're dead, you're dead. There's no undeading yourself. Is that a word? Probably not, but you know what I mean. Only God's love can do that. In his love, we were made alive. And here's the thing about God's love that I really want us to understand. It does not start when we start to believe in him. That's not when it starts. He loved us when we were unlovable. And we had no capacity to love. He loved us when we ran from him, hated him, cursed him, had no thought of him. But God, he loved us us at our worst, at our darkest, at our most vile. And that kind of love is astonishing. A love so big and so complete 
that we see it here in verse 6, is that he raised us up with him, seated with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we may, he may display his immeasurable riches. So we are seated in heavenly places. Okay, that sounds like a present day thing. And you're looking around, you're like, this is nice, but I don't think this is heaven. You're right, it's not. Okay, stay with me. He's saying that one day, one day, this is going to happen. But he's speaking it, Paul's speaking it as like, listen, this is a done deal. This is happening. This is the, the done deal of salvation. You will be there. So you get to action and function, or function like this is your present. That's the hope that we have. It's a done deal. We will sit with God in heavenly places and see his riches. So we see this progression, this life separated from God, deserving punishment for sin, then but God. We see who God is, how he loves us, and then we are asked, what are we going to do about that? Here's the last question. So we had a question. What do we save from our transition? But God, our last question is, what do we save for? This is a hugely important question. Verses 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works, so no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us ahead of time. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. It's a gift from God. It's not of ourselves. We can't take credit for it because we will. We're really good at taking credit for something that's not ours to take credit for, okay? There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's the work of Jesus in us accepting that. So what are we saved for? I think there's two things that we are saved for that we see here in Scripture. There's many things, but there's two things I want to talk about. One is an identity, a new identity, and a new purpose. Our identity, we are his workmanship, which literally means a piece of art, a work of art, his masterpiece. And we hear this, you are God's masterpiece. And you're like, oh, I might have been like the oopsie that got like slipped through. You know what I mean? Like things aren't all working the same way and looking the same. You know, a masterpiece. Okay, because we know all of our flaws, our shortcomings. You know all the places that you're still under construction. We are masterpieces under construction. We may not feel like it, but God has the end work in mind for us, and he will work on you until your last breath here on earth. God has promised to keep working on us until the end. Philippians 1 says, he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion. Uh, the sculptor Michelangelo, not the Ninja Turtle, the sculptor says, of his, of his sculptures. I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. The master artist doesn't see us in our unfinishedness. He knows the complete, what the complete work will be like. Our identity is no longer who we were trapped in the stone. It's emerging. And the one who is doing the work is who is crafting our identity. Y'all, and some people will not get this. You come to faith and you start to live this new life. This new identity is emerging and being crafted. And they're going to want you to be that same old person. 
They're going to want you to be the same old person that used to react that way, that used to run around that, that way, that used to talk that way, used to behave that way. And they're going to call you back into that old identity. And a lot of times a person calling us back into that old identity is us. Because shame wants us to believe that we are only as good as our worst moments. Shame wants us to believe we are only as good as our worst moments. See, in Christ, we are as good as God. We get the goodness of God. A friend told me once, the devil knows our name but calls us by our sin, but Jesus knows our sin and calls us by our names. We are a new creation in Christ, and that is something we have to adopt through faith. We have to fight for it. We have to work on forgiving ourselves and others so we can fully accept this new life that is emerging before us. And I know that it is hard. I know that one of the greatest things that we can do to fully accept this identity that is laying out before us, that is through the work of Jesus on the cross, is to intimately know what and who we identify with. Picking up scripture and letting it wash over us to rewire our inner dialogue is how we combat the narrative that we, have been, that we are too far gone to be forgiven and this new life is a lie. We have to fight lies with truth. And I will tell you, this literally changed my life. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Knowing this truth and believing it literally changed the course of my life. I grew up in a pretty chaotic home, um, experienced a lot of physical, verbal, sexual abuse. I was a pretty broken kid um, with a lot of words that were laid on me that I carried. People who were broken speaking just death over me, um, unworthiness. And it just just led me down this path of darkness. When I became a, a teenager, I found myself in relationships with, with men that were really unhealthy. I found myself pregnant at a young age, and I had an abortion. And I know I have shared this story before, and I kind of stop at that part, but I want you to know a little bit more about it. Making the decision that I made was incredibly nuanced, and it's a bigger conversation than we can have here. But there were these things that happened that planted deep, deep, deep roots in me, and, and one of them was going to the clinic. And as I was walking to the clinic, um, my father took me. There were people that were standing in front of it, holding signs, um, professing to be people of faith. Um, and so as I was walking in, scared and confused and desperate and so far from God, people that I knew were confessing that they followed Jesus were screaming at me. 
saying horrible things, spitting at me, and yelling that I would never be forgiven, that I was going to hell, that, um, and those words seared into my heart. It was just another layer of the death that had been spoken over me for years. A number of years later, I was telling a mentor, I'd come to faith and I had a mentor and I was just feeling stuck. I wanted to believe so desperately that Christ had something for me, but I could not get past that moment. There was no way that I could truly be loved. Like, I was way too far gone. And she said, you need to read this scripture, 1 John 1, 9, over and over and over. Every time that thought comes into your mind, I need you to read this scripture. And I carried a note card with me, and I, I just would pull it out, and I would just read it over and over and over, because I was so shackled by shame that I could not move forward in my life. I could not move forward in my journey with Christ. I wanted to believe so bad, but I could not do it. And the truth of God's word, that he is faithful to forgive us if we confess our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, is how I was able to fight back lies with truth and standing firm in my new identity. And it was not me pulling myself up by the bootstraps, but it was me opening my Bible, getting on my knees, praying the word of God over myself, over my soul. And scripture reminded me that God loved me even when people didn't. And even when people believed that I did not deserve forgiveness and love, scripture reminded me that God meant that for me. We are saved for a new identity in Christ, and he defines our lives not by our, our past or our, our sins or our people's opinions of us. God gives us a new identity through and in Jesus, period. We're also saved for a purpose. See, our purpose in Christ is to serve him, to reach people in only places that we go, in only circles that we stand in, to use every inch of our lives and our stories to glorify God. Because we are not saved of, because of good works, we are saved for them. Our lives are no longer about ourselves. Your life is no longer about you. It's about Jesus and glorifying him in all that we do making his name known. We forget that. But the moment we step into a relationship with Jesus, our life no longer becomes our own. Now we are a vessel of God to go and share hope. All the, the old life and the old goals and the old aspirations, they die. We have to let them die because they keep us chained to the past. If you would have asked that teenager walking into the clinic if God would redeem her, forgive her, and then against all things use the darkest places in my life to bring him glory, I never would have believed you then. But God. And there's nothing about me that makes that possible either. I'm broken, and I'm weak, and I'm sinful, but God's words told me 
that he uses the broken, the lowly, to confound the things that are mighty in this world. So there will be no doubt where the power and strength that are in me come from him. It's not about us. It's everything that Christ has done for us. God's people are seriously flawed and imperfect. And because he does the most miraculous work with imperfect tools, he gets all the glory. So my hope for us this morning, and I'm going to invite the band up. My hope for us this morning is that you have so many more but God moments. You have so many more moments that stop you in your tracks and go, this is only possible because of God. And I hope it does stop you in your tracks and you are able to give thanks and praise from what you were saved from and what you are saved for. And to God be the glory. Pray with me.